Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Reading along through James with us, which we hope you are, there are 105 verses and 52 commands. And if you don't read it carefully, you kind of feel like bam, 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 like it's just stop it, stop it, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this. And I just want to remind you the heart of James, the heart of Jesus, the heart of all the biblical writers was they want your heart And when your heart lines up, then all of the commands that are in scripture begin to take care of themselves. But sometimes we're reading through James, we can kind of say, oh, he's just, he he wants us to perform, which is not what he's saying. He wants to capture our heart. And so if you are reading along through James with us, here's what we need to remind each other of. And that is um, that James was the half brother of Jesus. So he was eyewitness to many of the events in Jesus's life. And then the book was written in about AD 40, which think about that, Jesus died in 30 or 33, right? And then he was uh, resurrected, ascended. So this is just a few years, okay, after the ascension, resurrection, and the start of the church. And so the Jews have been scattered, okay, and they're suffering persecution and trials in the countries where they have scattered to. And James is writing them a letter, okay, that just says, hey, here's how I want you to live in the midst of this persecution. That's the context of which this passage is written. And so the theme for James, as we've been reading every week, hope you've got it memorized, is that James wants us to live live single-minded, stable, undefiled lives. That's what he wants us to do. And we're going to step into James 5, 7 through 12 today, six verses. And let me just give you the answer to the test. Okay, here's the theme for this passage of scripture. It's live patiently in light of Christ's return. So that's the answer for the test today. Whenever somebody, hey, what'd you think about the message? Live patiently in light of Christ's return. That's the, that's the theme. But we're gonna break it into two movements. We're gonna talk about live patiently for a bit. And then we're gonna talk about in light of Christ's return. And for all of my uh, right brain people, we're not gonna do it linearly, verse by verse. We're gonna do it by movements. Okay, which is another way to study the scriptures as you get a chance to do that. So the two movements, live patiently, in light of Christ's return. And so you may, the question we always wanna ask is, hey, why, why is this important? And remember, he's writing to the Jews who are being persecuted, the Christian Jews, and he's reminding them to be patient, why? Well, the answer is in this passage is because whenever we're under persecution or suffering or pressure or stress, we tend not to take care of our tongue, right? In our homes, stressful, tongue gets out of control, right? And so James has talked about that a ton. The other is that we forget, this passage is gonna show us, okay, that we are gonna be accountable or rewarded when Jesus returns in light of his return for how we used the gifts that God has given us and how we acted as being motivated by Christ. 
And then the third thing is that whenever we're under stress and trials and pressure is that we tend to take shortcuts, right? We don't want to endure what we're in the middle of, okay? And we wanna take shortcuts. And so what we do is we compromise and we run to our idols such as wealth, or we numb ourselves with relationships or um, substances or TV or video games or social media or whatever that is because we, do, we don't wanna stay in the moment that God may allow us to be in. So James is saying, hey, you Jewish Christians who are suffering, live patiently. Let's see what God's up to. And in light of Christ's return, Christ is gonna come back. And let me just tell you, we're gonna get to unpack this a little bit today. It's gonna be amazing. Okay, when we understand the fullness of who Jesus is and we understand why in the world he's been doing the things that he's doing, we're gonna get to understand his economy. It says we're gonna know in full on that day. And I cannot wait to understand that. So my hope today is that we can encourage you in the midst of any of the hardships that you're going on. And uh, in a group this size, we know that there are hardships, right? I know that there are really hard divorces that are taking place. I know that there are prodigal kids that haven't come back yet. We've got friends who have been in and out of the hospital with uh, disease that they can't figure out what it is after weeks. We've got a friend that's been in a car, major car wreck, right? There's just hardships, there's trials. And I hope that this passage will encourage you in the midst of all that. And then I also today, I want to change the way you hear the word judgment. Because my hunch is for 90% of us in the room, when we hear the word judgment, we go exactly to, oh no, Okay, uh-uh, I'm in trouble, judgment. And I wanna change the way you think about judgment today. And so those are the two things that we hope to accomplish. So let's read the passage in James 5, 7 through 12. It says this, therefore be patient brothers until the coming of the Lord. So the first sentence gives you the theme, right? The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain brothers against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brothers, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Verse 12. But, of all, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no to be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So that's our passage. And the first thing that Jesus is, or James is going to do here is he's going to give us an example of how to do this. How do you be patient in the midst of hard times? And he is going to say, look to the farmer is what he is going to say. And so before we jump into the farmer, we need to know that therefore, the first word in this passage Okay, you need to know why that's there. And so it's referring back to the first six verses, okay, of the passage, and it's a really strong, those first six verses are a strong denunciation of the wealthy oppressors oppressing the poor Jewish Christians. And he is talking to the wealthy, and as we learned last week, it is condemning. 
And it is judgment type language, like end of times judgment type language. But if you are reading along this week, you know that we don't use uh, brothers here. There's brothers in it, but he's switching the audience. He's no longer talking to the oppressor. He's talking to the oppressee. Okay, to those Jewish believers who were suffering. And that's what he says. And then he just says, hey, look to the farmer. Um, Let's read it. Therefore, be patient. Read it again. Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, for the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. So patience, right? Three times the word wait one time in there. So that's what he's going for. And it's important that we remember that. So what does he say? Look to the farmer. So one of the things that he wants us to understand is that the farmer does not have control of the outcome of his crops. So he's responsible for the inputs that he can do, but he can't control the outcome. So let me just give you some examples. He can prepare the soil. He can fertilize can plant the seed. He can do some weed control. He can try to protect from animals, but he can't control the final outcome. He can't control when the rain comes, how much rain he gets, can't control how hot a summer he has. He can't control as much as he tries all the diseases that might take out your crop, and he can't control severe weather, tornadoes, hailstorms, all that. So the farmer Okay, he can do all his inputs, but he has to give up control of what the outcomes are. And the second thing I think that James wants us to get here is that we have to wait for the reward. So we're doing all these inputs and we don't get to experience the fruit of the harvest sometime for months of what's happening. So it's why James is saying, hey, look to the farmer, right? He does his part, can't control outcome, and he has to wait. And so here's the, the, just the important part of the illustration of this is just that the point of the illustration of the farmer seems to be that as Christians, we're primarily sowing and cultivating in this life, not reaping rewards. And that is a huge paradigm shift for us. Okay, for us to start thinking about, okay, my 70-ish years on this earth are not about me and my comfort and my things. They are about being on the mission that God has called us to. And so some of you guys know about five years ago, I went through Regen, and as I was figuring out kind of the reason for a bunch of my idols in my life, I figured out that it was a deep need, a deep addiction to comfort. And so this week I kind of went back and I just kind of paid attention to all the decisions I made this week okay, that led to my leisure or my comfort or my hobbies or, uh, hey, I can't wait to get this done so I can get home and chill out or I can't wait till I get my kids down, right? So I can just take a breath, right? And so we spend so much tr- time trying to move towards comfort, or I don't know exactly what your thing is, but James is trying to get us, hey, be patient. The coming of the Lord is at hand. And so let me ask you guys something. Just we're gonna take a poll and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands. How many of you, it was a trial that either brought you to Christ, don't raise them yet, it was a trial that brought you to Christ, 
or it was a trial that helped you follow Christ with a lot deeper devotion. How many of that trial was the thing? Okay, yeah. I mean, it's at least half of the audience. And so James is saying, hey, be patient in the midst of trials because good things are gonna happen. Good things are gonna come because you live with those, live patiently in the midst of those trials. And so the question we wanna ask is what are the inputs that we are responsible for? Okay, because we wanna do our part. We've gotta do what we're supposed to do, but then we've gotta wait and trust for the outcomes that God is gonna accomplish. So our part is the things that we talk about all the time around here. Man, we want you to devote daily, to spend time in an intimate walk with Jesus, studying God's word, okay, praying, memorizing, studying, sharing your faith. All of those things are inputs that help you live patiently before Christ comes. Investing in relationships. We talk about community around here all the time. In, that's an input that you invest in relationships so that when you're going through trials and tribulations, you've got people around you that are helping you. That's an input. Brian's already talked about it today. Using your gift, that is a means of grace for your growth so that you can live patiently in light of Christ's return. And so I will tell you early on as we were parents, this changed the way Trisha and I prayed for our kids. And I've got two of my kids that are here and they may not like that I'm revealing the secret, okay, right here. But we would pray, hey God, would you make their eternity great? And that's, that's a scary prayer, right? Because that might mean that God's gonna allow them to suffer and have trials in their life that are not gonna be comfortable and it's gonna be hard for us to parent them through that. And so we've got a child that's got autoimmune that's affected the way that she can live her life. And so James is saying to the Kegler family, hey, live patiently in light of Christ's return because there's rewards coming for living patiently in light of that. All right, the passage goes on in 10 and 11 and it says now it's gonna say, hey, look to the prophets and Job. You wanna learn how to live patiently? Look at Job and the prophets. So as an example, brothers of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So why does he go to Job and the prophets? Okay, because he wants us to get the idea of steadfast patience, of endurance. And J.B. Lightfoot, as I was studying, has this great quote. He says, the steadfastness or the endurance that's mentioned in that passage is the self-restraint which does not easily retaliate. You don't react to the suffering Right? It's not succumbing, giving in to this trial, to this affliction that you're a part of. He says, look to the prophets, because every one of the prophets, they really had one job, calling Israel back to God because they had walked away. Do you know how many of the prophets were successful? Maybe one or two, and the success was very short-lived. 
And right here in this passage, James says that these prophets, okay, were blessed because of they lived steadfastly without any results to the message that they were giving. Their message went unheeded, okay? But this passage, James just says, hey, these guys were a picture of steadfastness. Look to the prophets. And so how do we do that, right? We look to the farmer, we look to the prophets. Well, this didn't end this passage exactly, but I just wanna help you if you're in the midst of trials and suffering, maybe un- injustice, unjust suffering, okay? You, n- you need to look at Jesus. So we look to the farmer, we look to the prophets, we look to Jesus. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 23. And this may be the most convicting verse, at least for me, in all, all of the New Testament. And I'll tell you when we get there, okie doke. So it says, for you've been called for this purpose. This is Peter talking about Jesus. For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So we can't get any more clear here. Jesus is suffering to give you and me an example to follow in his steps. That's one of the things that's happening as he's going to the cross, right? says that he who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, which we know happened a bunch in those last 48, 72 hours, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he ordered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Okay, we are gonna stop and make an application right here. We're gonna say this out loud together, this last phrase, because it is so applicable for all of us who are experiencing trials and tribulations. So we're gonna say, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I want y'all to walk out, okay, today with that in your brain. Okay, so let's say it together. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Folks, that should be the story of our life. When we don't understand, when we can't figure something out, when we're suffering, we keep entrusting ourselves to the one who judges rightly. Jesus is your model. He gave this as an example. And that is so difficult. When you have been unjustly accused or convicted, You wanna fight for your rights. You wanna fight for what you deserve. You wanna get that. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh. Just saying, keep entrusting yourself to the one who judges rightly. Why? Because the coming of the day of the Lord, it's coming. And there are rewards and there is accountability that's coming. And we're gonna get to that here in just a minute. One of the things that I just want to quickly cover, uh, there's, a warn, there's a couple of warning passages in here in verse 9 and in verse 12, so we're skipping around. And, and James just kind of goes back to the tongue. He hits it in every single chapter of James, and we've talked about it a lot already, so we're not going to spend much time on it. But he talks basically in 9, don't complain, brothers, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So don't complain against other believers, against other Christians. That's really easy to do. Look, we have a responsibility to be discerning about things that are communicated in our community groups and other believers and all that. But man, it's so easy to move to complaining or being overly critical 
And we need to switch and be more encouraging, okay, than we are complaining and being critical about things. Encouragement goes a really long way. So James is talking about that. And then he goes down in verse 12 and he says, but above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under judgment. And he's saying this because he's like, hey, whenever you're under trial, your patience goes out the window. And he's saying, watch what you say and don't swear by anything. So he's, he's really just coming after the Pharisees here because they used to swear by the temple, it says in Matthew 23. Swear by the gold in the temple, it says in Matthew 23. And he's saying, don't swear by anything that your word ought to be good enough. And so you don't need to swear by anything. And it happens when we get impatient. So how do we live patiently? The first movement in this passage is you live patiently by looking to the farmer, by looking to Job and the prophets, and by looking to Jesus. That's how you do that. Remember those examples James is telling you. And then he goes on and he says, live patiently in light of Christ's return. So we're gonna read seven through uh, seven through nine again, and watch all the places that it has eschatological language. Eschatology just, just means the study of end times. And we won't spend a ton of time on it, but there are all throughout James. It's the third biggest theme in James, if you've missed it while you were reading, is eschatology. Judgment, the coming of the Lord, all those kind of things. There's a lot in James about that. So let's look at this, just these three verses. It says, therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Okay, so for the next 10 minutes, we're about to move into uh, a topic, okay, eschatology, that we don't understand very well. And that's because we're trying to take our finite minds and we're trying to wrap it around an infinite God who has a different calendar than we do and has different purposes than we do. And so our time, we measure by weeks and months and flipping the calendar and all that, his time doesn't work like that. And it's one of the reasons in this passage, okay, James says it's near, it's coming. If you read every other New Testament writer, Peter, Paul, John, they all thought that Jesus was coming back, back really soon. It's called the doctrine of imminence, is that the imminent return of Jesus is going to happen. And so we're sitting like, well, that was 2,000 years ago, right? What, it's not, it hadn't, wasn't imminent. We're on our calendar. We're not on God's calendar. And so we have to live with the New Testament writers are saying, and James is saying, hey, you need to live as if this thing is happening tomorrow or this afternoon. That's the way we're supposed to live our life. And so our generation of believers and other generations have gotten lazy on the imminent return of Christ. But don't make the mistake of thinking that he's not, that he's not coming back 
and that he is not gonna judge, okay, how we lived our life because he is. And I can't wait because Jesus is gonna get absolutely what he deserves. He deserves every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's gonna happen and it's coming. And we need to live our life as it's, it's coming very, very soon. And so let me just read this to you. This may look familiar uh, to you. It says, we believe in the future visible and bodily return of Jesus Christ to the earth, commonly called the second coming to rule the nations and establish his kingdom on earth. If you're a member at City Bridge, I'm telling you, you believe that. That he is coming. That's why we believe. It's an essential doctrine of who we are at City Bridge. Now, there are people that are a lot smarter than I am and who've doing a lot more study than I have that will disagree. Their faithful brothers and sisters will disagree when that's gonna happen, exactly how that's gonna happen. But we all agree, if you, if you are an orthodox, meaning right-thinking believer, that he's coming back. And it's a non-negotiable for us. And so let me just, if I can, start to flip the way we think about judgment in our heads. And so um, my, fa what my favorite author is a guy named Eugene Peterson. And he's got a book called Logo Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he says this, he says, the biblical word for judgment means the decisive word by which God straightens things out and put things right. So when judgment comes, things are gonna be set right. And then he goes on, this description's incredible. He says, judgment is not a word about things, describing them, it's a word that does things. Judgment is an action word. It puts love in motion. It applies mercy. It nullifies wrong. It orders goodness. And so we have this negative connotation about judgment, but look what judgment does. It highlights the great stuff and holds accountable for the stuff that didn't honor Christ. And we're gonna talk about what that looks like because there's judgment coming. One is at the very end of time, the great white throne judgment, you may have heard it said, where those who believe in Christ or Christ followers are gonna spend eternity with Christ. That decision is based on the gospel. Do you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and have you given your life in faith to that belief? And the great white throne judgment's also gonna be for those folks who have not given their life to Christ and follow Christ and they are gonna be judged condemned to eternal separation from anything that is of God, friendship, love, care, beauty, and it's horrible. The scripture calls it hell. But then there's another judgment that's gonna take place earlier than that, and it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And so let's read a couple of passages that kind of, we're gonna kind of dive into this for a little bit. And again, we're taking finite minds and we're trying to understand some infinite things for the purpose of how do we live rightly in light of his return. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, meaning in our physical body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, right? That just says it's happening. 
It is gonna happen, right? And then 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, we get some details, okay, about what this is gonna be like. It says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's just saying in this passage right here, Paul is just saying, Jesus is the thing that determines our eternity, the gospel, right? Now, if any man builds on the gospel, the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. So here's the deal, judgment seat of Christ, we're there, okay? And what's gonna happen is for everything that you've done that was motivated out of a love for Jesus and a love for God and to serve others is gonna be celebrated, rewarded, and it is gonna be unbelievable what takes place. I can't get my brain around it, okay? And the things that we've done that were selfishly or independently motivated are just gonna kind of disappear. They're gonna kind of go away and there's no condemnation for those things. And I kind of ask the question, maybe you do too. Okay, how's, how's that gonna work? Okay, so if other people are like, so, hey, what if, um, pick somebody back in the booth back there, man, they have been um, ser serving like crazy and man, their reward, their party's big and, this passage actually talks about, hey, some people are gonna have the foundation of Christ, but they're gonna get in smelling like smoke, okay? How, how am I not gonna be envious of that person, okay? So we're treading on ground. I'm gonna give you an illustration that'll break down at some point, but here it is, to try and understand how this is gonna happen. So let's just say that David Gentiles and I go see the greatest band in the 70s, okay? The Eagles, okay, is the greatest band in the 70s. And so let's say, okay, that David and I both go and we've got equally good seats, okay? And so I walk out of that concert and I'm like, that was the greatest concert I have ever been to. I don't know that I can ever go to another concert because that is so great. And David, Gentiles, goes to that concert and he walks out. And he just says, that was the greatest concert that I have ever been to in my life. That was amazing. But my hunch is David's experience is very different than mine because of how he's lived his life. He gets music. He gets harmony. Right? He gets rhythm. He gets all of those things. And so I don't know any better. Right? But David has a more full experience at the Eagles concert than I do. As best I can, that's kind of what it might look like, okay? But there's not gonna be any condemnation and I don't think you're gonna know the difference. But it motivates me, okay, to want to get everything I can out of this 70 years that I have right here. And so we're gonna have some fun because I love our church and I love how our church is serving. I was with some directional teams the last couple of weeks and we've got some staff that we haven't hired yet and they're stepping up and they're serving and I'm like, this is unbelievable. I love our church. And so I want you to just spend a minute and we're thinking about the judgment seat of Christ, okay? And how it's gonna be for you. 
And I want you to think about all the times that you've encouraged somebody. And maybe all the times that you've admonished somebody to live for Christ. All the times that you've given wise counsel, that you've taught truth to somebody. Given a glass of water, what the scripture would say, to somebody that's in need. Folks, all of that, that's gonna get celebrated. And it's gonna be awesome. And I don't know if I get to be there or not for yours. Okay? I wanna be there. I wanna have a front row seat, right, to the way that our people have served and loved and cared for our body. And so there's a guy that serves in our church named Jim Halverson. And Jim Halverson's been running around for four years with one of our kaleidoscope buddies, chasing him all over the building on Sundays, having fun, communicating the gospel. Parents night out, he's here, he's doing that. He's not on stage, there's nothing public, but my hunch is his judgment seat of Christ is gonna be awesome. Right? There's a good friend of mine, Mike Graham. My Graham is a praying dude. We pray together every, every Monday at 8.30 and just pray for you and pray for our church. And so that guy's meeting people all the time. He's available to have gospel conversations. He's praying. I, I wanna be front and center at his judgment seat of Christ day because it's gonna be great. And I imagine my mom who's 87 is gonna beat me, who knows, right? To the judgment seat of Christ, but I wanna be there for her for hers, because what allowed me to come to a relationship with Christ was watching the sacrificial love of a mom going through a divorce, being a single mom with my dad having never come back to the family before he died. I, I, I wanna be at the judgment seat, her judgment seat. And I, I wanna celebrate what my mom is gonna get from Jesus in that. And so we're gonna close just by going back to to verse 11, just reminding us of the character of God, that he's a God full of compassion and he's a God full of mercy. And it's a reminder, first, first Peter 3, 9 just says, God's not slow about his promise, right? As some count slowness, but he wants every single person to be saved. And so our application is that, man, we've all got friends and family and neighbors who don't know Jesus. And our mission, how we live faithfully in light of Christ's return, is we gotta be telling those folks. And it doesn't mean be weird, it doesn't mean be manipulative, but they ought to know what you believe and why you believe it. Having a conversation with them. That's on mission. That's getting celebrated when we hit the judgment seat of Christ. And even for as we think about believers, right, our friends that love Christ, we can make their judgment seat of Christ better because we're helping them along the path of maturity and being complete in Christ. And so when we have an encouraging word for them or we help them straighten out something that's not right in their lives, we're, we're gonna help them make this moment amazing. So the goal here is that we want all of us that are in this room and our friends and our family to hear the term good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant.
And so we're going to close our time here in a minute with a song called Endless Praise. And it's been my favorite song for the last two or three months that uh, I've been singing. David actually wrote, uh, was a co-writer on it. And, uh, and I just, we're, it's five or six minutes long. And we're just going to do part of what's going to happen when we're in heaven. We're just going to praise the Lord, right, for who he is and how he has invested and just moved into our life and transformed us. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.